to the KC City Church Audio Podcast. We pray you enjoy this following sermon. And our, I believe our fifth, fifth part to our Beatitudes. But before that, I want to show you all a series of some photos of our food pantry that you, you've... Uh, heard about even this morning and we've shared it on on several of our Facebook posts as well but have a look at some of the uh, photos here so these are packs that are being made ready to for the police to collect and to hand it to families and we've been getting donations from a few different churches in fact this we saw this right just outside of our church someone had put these bags of uh, I mean these packs of uh, bread uh, I think it was last last week, I believe, you know, early Sunday morning, and I'm seeing this right outside. So people are really contributing. They are getting, the word's getting out there, and people are contributing. So we're so excited about it. This is wonderful. Now, there are other photos of some of our volunteers as well coming in and helping us, but imagine that. Now, as we, as we touch on... This beatitude, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. What we as a church, and there are so many other churches that are doing this as well, and we are so fortunate that we, we together with other churches, can come together and work, not just with our locals, local police, but to be also able to do it out of our own accord as well, to connect with other migrant communities and all of that, because this is a great way for us to really show Jesus in the flesh. It's a great way for us to um, begin to display what the word of the Lord says about being compassionate, about being merciful, about responding to the needs that are out there. So friends, this morning, can I invite you to just close your eyes and let's begin to pray. Let's think of a family that you know you need to, that, that, that either you know you need to touch, either you know you need to really reach out to, that someone's, um, you know, going, going, going through a fairly difficult time right now. So just ponder, take a minute right now and just begin to think, uh, reflect, Bring them before, before you. Bring them before the Lord and let's, let's pray this morning and let's ask the Lord to come and meet their needs. And maybe it is you and I that need to be that, that hand, that hand of mercy that can reach out to them. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we thank you indeed for this morning. We thank you for the many things that we've been hearing today, Lord. Father, we thank you for the words that have been spoken, the prophetic words that have been spoken, the worship, the songs that we've sung. And all of that is largely due to your mercy upon our lives, Lord, that we can come before the throne of grace so freely right now. And and we just want to rejoice. We want to, we're so thankful for that. And we give you all the glory. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Bless someone this morning, whoever it is, that whether it's your husband, your wife, your kids that are with you, bless the person, give them a high five as family. I'm sure you can do that, so that's all, that's all good. Now, uh, I, I want to open up, I want to open this morning with this question. What have been the effects of mercy in your life? If you look at the context of mercy, what's, what's the effect of mercy in your life? Uh, uh, what is mercy? How would, you define, how would you define mercy? Right? And what's the difference between mercy and grace? Now, just to recap, the Beatitudes uh, 
over the last four weeks that we've uh, that we've been uh, sharing and and preaching out of the Beatitudes. Uh, there are eight Beatitudes, and this is our fifth. So this is where it is the intersecting point, I suppose, or the midway point, a fairly crucial point here. So the Beatitudes are character traits of those who have entered the kingdom of heaven. Amen. We look at that in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 10. Now, we can see that the first four Beatitudes, now they reveal a spiritual progression of what is termed as being, you know, it's, it's this virtual relentless logic. It's just, you know, when you think about it and when you were to be relentless about this truth and you seek after this truth, so it's being, being, being relentless about it. Right? I'm, I'm going to be relentless about understanding and applying these Beatitudes, these four, the, the first four Beatitudes. Right? To begin with, we are to be poor in spirit, acknowledging our complete and utter spiritual bankruptcy before God. Right? Uh, the next is that we are to mourn. Over the cause of it, meaning over the cause of our sin, which is the corruption of our fallen nature. And the reign of sin and death in the world. The third is we are to be meek, humble and gentle toward others, allowing our spiritual poverty to condition our behavior to them as well as to God. And l- l- let me repeat that, the third aspect, that we are, to be, we are to be meek, meaning to be humble, gentle towards others, allowing our spiritual poverty to condition our behavior to them as well as to God. So to, amen? The fourth aspect, we are to hunger and thirst for righteousness, which I, 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 I spoke about last week and the week before. It was a two-part series. For what is the use of confessing and being sorrowful of our sin, of acknowledging the truth about ourselves to both God and others if we just leave it there, friends? What's the point? Amen? So now comes the turning point in the Beatitudes. It's at this point. It's the fifth Beatitude where you find the turning point. And it is this. The first four are inner character changes. Amen? That reflect the believer's relationship with God. So this is my relationship with God. This is what I need to do. I need to reflect and, and, and be this, to be poor in spirit, to mourn, to be meek, to be hungry, and to thirst for righteousness. These four things, they are a, an in, internalizing aspect. Amen? It helps you, and I build our character. And the last four are outward manifestations of those character changes. So this is what we've got to do. And and what do we do? We show now mercy. There is peace. We become the peacemaker, right? And and you will suffer for for Christ. It says that in in the eighth beatitude, right? So as believers, as believers hunger and thirst for righteousness, as we hunger for righteousness, God makes them the merciful in verse 7. God makes them then the pure in heart in verse 8. God makes them then the peacemakers in verse 9. And because of this righteousness, friends, right, the world will persecute believers. And I'm sure you've experienced that. I know I've experienced that. But the word of the Lord is so clear about the fact that that is going to happen and that will happen as an outcome of, of us embodying 
you know, the word of the Lord and this lifestyle, what the Beatitudes begin to teach us. So now, I want to ask you this question, how do mercy and love differ? You know, it's so confusing at times, you know, do I, if, if I'm... Um, is mercy and love the same? Am I being merciful? So uh, what about, you know, uh, in the context of discipline? Because it says that, you know, if you love someone, you will also apply discipline in that context. So how does uh, mercy and love differ? Love is like a friend. Let me put it to you this way. Love is like a friend who visits those who are well. Mercy is like the physician who visits only those who are sick. Amen. Jesus did say that I come for the sick, not for those who are well. Love acts more out of affection. Mercy acts out of a, out of a principle of conscience. Mercy lends its hand to another. Love gives its heart to another. Right? Thus, whilst they dif differ, they agree in this one fact that and this is what they agree on, that it needs to be given away. Both mercy and love must be given away in order to fully realize. Amen? For it to be fully realized. So let me define mercy. It's taken, uh, parts of it are taken out of, uh, of Webster's and part of it, obviously, from Scripture in itself. So mercy is goodness offered to those in distress, those who are in sorrow. Those who are going through anguish. It often includes compassion and or forbearance shown to an offender. Somebody that deserves only justice. Right? Now John MacArthur, he defines it this way. He says this, that mercy is, is often... Mercy is, sorry, mercy is meeting people's needs. It is not only feeling compassion, but showing compassion. Not only sympathizing, but giving a, giving a helping hand. Mercy is giving food to the hungry, comfort to the bereaved, love to the rejected, forgiveness to the offender, com companionship to the lonely. It is therefore one of the loveliest and noblest of all virtues. Right? It is, it is that aspect of giving food to the hungry. Comfort to the bereaved, and hence you see our food pantry and what we are really, really trying to, trying to do to ensure that we are out there meeting the needs of those that, that we are aware of. You know, obviously we can't meet the needs of everyone, but there are, there are those that the Lord brings along our path. And so as we continue to reach, as you continue to reach, there, there are going to be hundreds of others that are going to experience this mercy that will, be, that will flow out, of, out through, through your life, through my life. Isn't that wonderful to be that hand and to be the feet and to be the face of Jesus to those who are yet to know him and also to those who know him. Hallelujah. So where does mercy come from, friends? Where, where, where does it originate from? Now it comes very simply from, from a heart that, is in, that, that as initially stated, first felt in the context of spiritual bankruptcy, that you feel that there is a sense of being poor in spirit. So the heart that has come to grieve its sin and has learned to wait meekly for the timing of the Lord and to cry out in hunger for the work of God's mercy to satisfy us with the righteousness that we need. So it is that righteousness for, that, that only God can begin to satisfy. So the key to becoming a merciful person 
person is to become really a broken person, friends. You get the power to show mercy from the real, from that, that very real feeling that is in your heart. That you owe everything, that you and I owe ev- everything to his sheer divine mercy. It is when we can come to that place of knowing that, man, wow. I know, I, I, as, as I look back at my life, I look at my family, I look at my kids, I look at my, um, our marriage, I look at where I'm at right now. If it's not for the mercy of God, I don't know where would I be. You know, and I'm sure there are hundreds of us, there are so many of us who would be able to relate to that if not for his mercy. You know, it, it, is, it, is, it is as if there's a, there's, a, there's a song that is entitled, Mercy Keeps Running. Mercy kept running after me. Mercy kept running after me. It's like the, it's, it's, it's literally like the father that runs after the prodigal son. That's a tremendous display of mercy. You know, mercy is such a powerful aspect in our lives. And when we begin to realize that, the sense of knowing who we are in God becomes an an exponential experience. You know, we, we forego being anxious. Or anxiousness begins to dissipate. We come into a place where we know that despite of what we go through, despite of it or in spite of that, right, the mercy of God will always keep us in good stead. Because of his mercy, we will not be, we will not be wronged. We will be vindicated. We will be pro- protected. We will be provided for. Amen. Amen. And that's, that's coming to a place where we fully, in, f- fully engage with this context of his mercy, the mercy of the Lord, the mercy seats. Hallelujah. So if we want to become merciful people, it is crucial then for us to cultivate a view of God and, our, and ourselves that helps us to say with all of our hearts that every joy and virtue and suffering of our lives is owing to the free and unres- undeserved mercy of God. Amen. Yes, every, yes, every aspect, even... Even our suffering. Let's look at James chapter 1 verse 2 to 4. It says, Dear brothers and sisters, when, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. So that's why God allows us to go through that. Because of His mercy. His mercy allows us to go through suffering so that we will be made actually really complete and we count it all joy. I know it's, it's difficult to understand that, but that's the way God works in and through us. And when we give of, our, of ourselves to that, we encounter this amazing, this, 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 um, this amazing uh, characteristic or attitude or beatitude really. So what is a merciful, merciful person like? Right. Sometimes it helps us to get something really clear if we can view this 
in a sense of, 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 of against its opposite. So what's the opposite of this, in other words? So we will look at Matthew chapter, chapter 9, verses 10 to 13. We'll also look at Luke as well. And, and Matthew 9, verse 10 to 13 says this, As he sat at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat before Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to the disciples, to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and, and sinners? And when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. That's the word of the Lord. So mercy versus sacrifice, friends. We see the opposite of mercy is sacrifice. In verse 13, it says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. So let me quote from uh, uh, Hosea chapter 6, verse 6. It says, For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. So where God, and if you, if, if, if you look at the, and if you read the book of Hosea, you see the context of mercy being shown so wonderfully and so amazingly in, in the relationship between Hosea and Goma, right? And that is, that, that is mercy displayed in, 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 I think, one of the most powerful ways you know, where you accepted despite the things that you do, your, your love, the, the love goes way beyond the recognition of your sin or your wrongdoing. I love you because love covers a multitude of, of sin. Amen. So where God accuses the people that their love is like the dew of, from Hosea chapter 6, it's like the dew on the grass, meaning it is there for a brief morning or for the, you know, for the, for, for the first hour, so to say. And then it's gone. And it is left empty. So it's, a, it's, it's an empty form of burnt offerings, in other words. Right? The point is that God wants his people to be alive in their hearts. He wants them to have affections toward him. That is to love, to love him so deeply, to, to have this intimate relationship, to be deeply in love with him. And, have, and also have mercy toward each other. So he does not want uh, people to just go through the motions of, of doing things dutifully, right? In this passage, we also see that the, the Pharisees see it as a ceremonial problem, right? With becoming contaminated by eating with sinners. So that's, they're looking at the whole context of law and they're saying now, you're going to be made, you know, um, guilty or filthy or whatever because you are now uh, sitting down and mingling with those who are contaminated themselves, who are sinners. Right? So their life seems to be this mechanical implementation of rules meaning the Pharisees. So something huge was at stake here, but they couldn't see, neither could they even feel it. They were enslaved to the trivial issues of ceremonial cleanness as such. So when eternal sickness was about to be healed, here you find 
this being said, that I've come for the sick. That's the reason why Jesus said, because it is this eternal healing that was about to take place. I'm coming to heal you eternally. I've come for the sick. Thus, the opposite of mercy is bondage to religious pettiness and trivialities. So mercy versus what I call straining out the gnat, G-N-A-T, the gnats, right? And uh, I'll, I'll read that from Matthew chapter 23, verse 23 to 24. And it says, What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees? Hypocrites, powerful, stinging words. For you are careful to the tithe, even the tiniest income from your herb gardens. But you ignore the more important aspects of, of the law. Just, justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe, yes. But do not neglect the more important things. Blind guides, in verse 24, it says, You strain your waters so you won't accidentally swallow a gnat, but you swallow a camel instead. I mean, imagine, imagine as a Pharisee you're listening to this. What a slap, right? I mean, it's, 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 so, it's really stinging, folks. Right? The opposite of mercy is the straining out of gnats, meaning it's, you know, a gnat is, is it's, a, it's, a, it's a fly that looks, looks very much like a mosquito. Right? The, so the opposite, of, the opposite of mercy is when, you, when religious compulsions are exhausted after when, when our religious, when your religious compulsions are exhausted after you have decided whether to tithe your gross income or your net income or even to tithe out of your financial gains that you get either through an investment or this or that. When you begin to go through that, now should I do it like this? Should I do it like that? Should I, should I just tithe $323.80? And, and 80 Why don't round it up to just 320 Why don't just round it up to 320 It's when we begin to split hairs like that. We are becoming like the Pharisees. So the lesson here, that the lesson we learn from the word of Jesus when he says is this, that I desire mercy and not sacrifice, and that you strain out a gnat and swallow a camel, is that the great obstacle and the enemy to mercy, friends, is the preoccupation with with the trivialities of life. Right in life in itself, the bondage to triviality is the curse of the unmerciful. When we begin to split hairs, right? We are living in a in in a you know in a circumstance today where we are seeing this displayed. You don't wear a mask, you get fined, right? But you bungle up on the hotel quarantine, it's okay to say. I don't know. So that's like the gnat, and, let, and that's like the, 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 the camel in a sense, right? So we see this being displayed. Why? Because when there is a call for righteous leadership, there is a huge lack in that. Amen. And it is only by showing mercy. It is only by experiencing this aspect of knowing that it is before God that I have to give an account, not just human nature, not, or not just uh, humanity as such, but it is before God that I've got to give an answer. How do we answer that then? Blessed are the merciful, 
Therefore, if you want to be blessed, you must, you must make war against the bondage of, of, of religious and, and what I term secular flirtings. And devote your life to the weightier matters of law, justice, mercy, faith. Mercy is no little things, my friend. It is one of the weightiest matters of, of life or in all of life, right? Now, we'll see mercy being displayed in the parable of the Good Samaritan. I'll, I'll read this from Luke chapter 10, verse 25 to 37. You, you'll have that uh, coming up as well. Follow along with me. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered right. Do this. And you will live. The man asked Jesus how a person, how, how, how a person should act to find mercy at the judgment day and inherit eternal life. So Jesus answered that the persons who will receive mercy of eternal life are those who have loved God with all their hearts and their neighbor as themselves. So in other words... It reads this way, Blessed are those who are merciful now to their neighbor, for they shall receive the mercy of eternal life in the future. So this story now is very relevant in a sense to the text, to our, to our text this morning, this parable. Right, the illustration that Jesus gives. Now, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain or they shall receive mercy. This will be even more obvious when we look at, at, at the following aspect of the second part of this parable, the Good Samaritan. Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and so he was probably a Jew and thus hated by the Samaritans. Right? And he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead now. By chance, a priest was going down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he saw him, he passed on the other side too. Likewise, uh, sorry, uh, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he, where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring oil and wine. Then he sat on his own animal, sat him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him for whatever, for, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of the three do you think proved neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? The lawyer said, the one who showed mercy on him. And Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. So there are four elements here that I want to share, or four, four dimensions here of mercy, right? Which we see here, the, the opposite of, of mercy, and we see that fairly clearly in this context, right? The first is this. 
it sees suffering in verse 33. A Samaritan, as he, as he enjoyed, as he journeyed, came to where he was and he saw him. So he sees. So mercy sees suffering. The second dimension or the second element here is this. It responds internally. With a heart of compassion or pity toward a person in distress, in verse 33, it says, when he saw him, he had compassion on him. The third aspect to this is it responds externally with, with a practical effort to, to relieve the distress in verse 33. He went to him and bound up his wound, pouring oil and wine. Then he sat him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the fourth aspect is this. It acts even when a person's suffering is an enemy. In verse 33, we see that. But a Samaritan, right? A half-breed Jew with a warped religious tradition stops to help the Jew who hates him. So even to your enemy, so the, 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 the immense truth of mercy when fully, fully displayed is this, that it not only sees the suffering and you then say, oh dear, oh dear. But there is a response inside where it says, now we want to do something. What can we do? Okay, we're hearing of families not having sufficient. So what do we do now as a church? What do we do as a people? Right? Then it responds externally. You go there and you personally begin to take, get involved. You personally get involved in it. And the other is, even if that person hates you, even if that person is your enemy, that is true mercy. That is the display of true mercy. See, an eye for suffering, a heart for pity, an effort to help in spite of animosity. That is mercy, friends. That is mercy. With the eyes of Jesus, isn't it remarkable that, that this parable now makes the same point in Matthew chapter 9, verse 13. There Jesus said, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Here he says, go and show mercy like the Samaritan, not like the priest and the Levite. So not like, the, not, not like ones who are embroiled in religiosity. Right? The priest and the Levites stand for the same thing in the parable that the word sacrifice stands for in Matthew 9.13. Namely, empty religious formalism. Right? So if you want to be blessed, you must make war against the bondage of religious and secular trivialities or inconsequential aspects. Mercy matters. Friends, mercy matters. So in answer to our initial question, what is mercy? We should say that mercy is one of the weightiest or one of the weightier matters of life. It's always in danger of being neglected because of our preoccupation with unimportant, inconsequential matters. Whether it's like watching too much TV or consuming yourself with certain hobbies or what I call religious nothingness. You know, what are they? What are these religious nothingness? It is, your, it is these religious activities, right? It is, it is it's from preaching to, to praying, from teaching to tithing. You know, any of that can become just 
a nothingness at the end of the day when it becomes just dutiful, you're just doing it out of just having to do it. Not because there is the sense of responding to, to when there is a need for mercy to be extended, then it, is ex- then it is actually truly extended. Any religious activity at all that does not cultivate a heart that is taken up with the weightier matters of life, like mercy, for instance, that is the proof of our religious pudding, in a sense. You've heard this, the proof is in the pudding. So when there is a lack of mercy in the way we govern our lives, the proof is in that religious pudding, friends. The third aspect, and I'm coming close to to my ending here, friends. Should a merciful person always show mercy? Isn't that an important question? I mean, isn't that something that really, you know, that 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 is really before us? Should we? And and, and I've I've just got three circumstances here, right? Can a Christian be consistently merciful and yet be an employer who pays good wages for excellent work, but dismisses irresponsible employees who do sh- shoddy work? You know, can you spank the child and? Uh, no, not, is it spank the child? And, no. Spoil the rod, what's, what does it say? Uh, spare the rod, sorry. Not spank the child. Spare the rod and spoil the child, that's right. Right? Do you discipline? Do you, when do you discipline? You know, should you? If you're disciplined, should you show mercy? Now, as a parent, we go through that all the time. And how do we discipline? Right? Such a difficult balance in life. Can a Christian be consistently merciful and yet be a legislator who enacts laws that give stiff penalties for drunk driving, for child abuse, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? Can a Christian be consistently merciful and yet be on, counsel, on, on a council of, of, of elders who follow the biblical mandate for church discipline for unforsaken public sin? Can that happen? So each of these questions now, they correspond to different spheres of life. The answer, I suppose, is this, that there needs to be a mingling of mercy and justice in all of these spheres. Mercy and justice. Mercy and justice. Right? God's will is that sometimes we compensate people with what they deserve, whether penalty or reward. Call that justice. And God's will is that sometimes we compensate people with better than what they deserve. Call that mercy. In upholding the claims of justice, we then bear witness to the truth that God is a God of justice. In showing mercy, we then bear witness to the truth that God is a God of mercy. You know, I remember in the early days when I was watching the, when, when we were showing the Alpha videos, and I think one of the stories of the Alpha video was the context of justice and mercy. And I believe it was about the judge whose friend now had come because of a particular crime, and he had to sentence, and the pain in, in his heart to sentence this person was so painful that he had to sentence, he had to pass judgment on him. And after passing judgment on him, he takes off his, 
his his uh, magistrate's robe or his ju- judge robe or whatever it was. He removes that and he walks out to the side of his friend and he says, now I am going to pay that fine. I will pay the outcome of this penalty. Now that was mercy. Amen. So justice was, was, was displayed, but mercy went further, where he then got involved with it as well. Now, a, a biblical judge will also, will usually be rigorously just by impartially sentencing criminals according to their grievousness grievousness of their of their crime in Romans chapter 13 verse 4 it says that but there will be times when he will need to dispense clemency here friends for some greater good now a biblical employer for instance will usually pay a fair wage and insist on good workmanship in 2 Thessalonians 3 verse 10 but there will be times when he will pay more than a person's work deserves and go the extra mile right with the sick or aging or distressed or in adequately trained employee you go the extra mile let's let's do this right and a, an elder in a church a biblical elder will call public sin in the church to account and exercise discipline but will also remember the parable of the wheat and the tares that teaches patience with the imperfection of the church till the end of the age Amen. So there is always the mingling of justice and mercy. When, the question is, when do we show mercy or, 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 or grace, right? Or should a merciful person always show mercy? That was a question. So when do, do we show justi, justice or mercy? If we ask this question, it is... The, the answer, I suppose, will be, the way I will answer it is this, that how shall we know when to do justice and how to show mercy? Right? And the best way to answer this is because Scripture, again, is, is, is not, um, it's not very, um, when I say not very clear, meaning it, it doesn't, it's not very prescriptive in that. What it really encourages is largely this. And this is what it says, that by getting closer to Jesus, you and I can possibly really know what the heart of God is in a matter like that and begin to then employ the decision that Jesus would want to, right? So it is, there is no hard and fast rule in, in Scripture in a sense that, that actually really dictates that. The aim of Scripture really is, is to produce a certain kind of person, Right? Not provide an exhaustive list of rules for every situation. And that's what the Pharisees came up with. They had the law. And then with every law, there were all these prescriptions. They began to uh, split hairs. So the Beatitudes says, say this, that blessed are the merciful. Not blessed are those who know exactly when and how to show mercy in all circumstances. Right? We must be merciful people even when we act with a severity in the service of justice. That is, we must be poor in spirit. There must be, we must be sorrowful for our own sin. 
we must be we must meekly be free from the defensiveness and 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 the sense of self exaltation be meek in a sense be percept be be ones who are hungry and thirsting for all that is right to be done be perceptive of persons who are in distressful circumstances that we must be feeling pity for that person's pain and making every effort to see the greatest good done for the for the greatest number of opportunities that are presented before us so should a merciful person always show mercy i suppose that's a question right now it is a qualified no why you will often support the claims of justice and recompense of a person the way he deserves in order to bear witness to the truth of God's justice and to accomplish a greater good for greater numbers of people right the reason why i say qualified no is largely this because if you are a merciful person then even the way you discipline your child or prosecute a criminal or dismiss an employee will be different because there is this sense of mercy the mercy will show the parent may cry the attorney may visit the 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 the, the criminal and his family and the employer may pay for remedial training the heart of mercy will always show friends so finally why do merciful people find mercy from god and i'd like to put this to you taken from Matthew chapter 6 the our father our father that Jesus taught his disciples is clear about it and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us when you're merciful you'll obtain mercy how can you not forgive someone and 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 live a life that that portrays that you've been forgiven by God because if you and I are truly forgiven by God we will only be able to forgive others because we will only want to forgive others now again you know friends when it comes to forgiveness there is always this issue that we wrestle with i have been abused i've been taken advantage of yes i can forgive but am i supposed to trust and put myself in that circumstance again no we are we are asked and called to forgive meaning to release that person and to release that very hurt that may have been done to us because god gives us the ability to forgive and as we receive forgiveness we will be able to dis- to to re- as we receive we're able to release that forgiveness but when it comes to the context of trust that comes that takes time and takes and at times it takes a a, a much longer time amen So this is where sometimes the struggle happens and so we feel no maybe I shouldn't because if I do then you know I've got to trust again no you've got to forgive that's what you and I need to do so in conclusion our god is a merciful god and shows mercy continuously 
the citizens of his kingdom. Those of us then, we must show mercy too. You see, we can't receive mercy and forgiveness of God if we are unrepentant ourselves, right? We must repent before God. As such, we really cannot claim to have repented of our sins if we are unmerciful towards the sins of others. When we can't forgive others, when we are unmerciful to the sins of others, how can we truly then claim and say that we have repented of our sins? A, a serious look into our very own lives. And that is why I keep saying that the Beatitudes, it's like this ladder that just takes us up, takes us up, it takes us beyond. It's not just something that is flowery and that is nice to recite, but there is so much of depth in the Beatitudes in itself. So as we come into our time of communion right now, you know, before that, I want to read from, from the New King James Version, Psalm 136. And all I'd like for you to, to repeat is are these words, for his mercy endures forever. Can you say that again, please? For his mercy endures forever. One more time, really loud and clear, so we all get to hear you here too. For his mercy endures forever. Okay, oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Endures forever, that's right. Oh, give thanks to the God of gods, for his mercy endures forever. Oh, give thanks to the Lord of Lords. Now, it's in faith that I'm, I'm, I'm believing that you are going to be saying that. To him who alone does great wonders. To him who by wisdom made the heavens. To him who laid out the earth above the waters. That's right. You're getting better and better. To him who made great, the great lights. The sun to rule by day. The moon and stars to rule by night. To him who struck Egypt in their firstborn and brought out Israel from among them. With a strong hand and with an outstretched arm. And I want to end with this. There's, there's several other verses there, but I want to end with this because God is doing this for you. I believe this. Who divided the Red Sea in two. For his mercy endures forever. We come to Red Sea places in our lives where it becomes the most difficult thing in life. And you might be facing that right now where you look right beyond and you see, man, I can't cross the Red Sea. And you look behind and you see Pharaoh's army coming. And God divides the waters and he allows you to go right through because his mercy endures forever. Amen. And he takes you into your promise. 